I love that we get a chance to really connect in this service. And please stay after for the coffee and the snacks and continue. This morning is our fourth Sunday in Advent. It is the fourth installment in our Power of a Promise sermon series. And you will hear scripture readings today from Isaiah, from John, from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And as you listen to the scriptures, notice how Isaiah sets out a vision of a world made right of a place of safety and security and peace for all. This is the promise. And then listen next for how Christ, through his body and blood, gives peace and calls people together to live into that peace. This is a promise fulfilled. Our scripture readings today are from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, the Gospel of John chapter 14, verse 27, and the letter to the Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 18, all from the Common English Bible. From the book of Isaiah, a shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's spirit will rest upon him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of planning and strength, a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearances nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violent with the rod of his mouth. By his breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will lie with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations will seek him out, and his dwelling will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to reclaim the survivors of God's people who are left from Assyria and from Egypt, from Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. Continuing in the gospel according to John, Jesus said to his disciples, 
peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I give to you not as the world gives. Don't be troubled or afraid. And then finishing from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with his commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Listening to the scripture from Isaiah multiple times this morning and with the nursing child playing over the snake's hole, um, I've realized I've missed an opportunity here, which is to bring in my daughter's snake. No, I would never do. I would never do that to you, um, but it just brings that vision because I do see my child playing with a snake on a on a regular basis. It has been here before when we were sheltered here um, during the last round of fires, but it mostly stayed in my office. It's a very gentle, very dumb snake. <laughs> But now on to the, the real message for the day. <clears throat> um, it's starting to get a little brighter out, but uh, last night was the, the longest night of the year, the darkest night. Um, and when I was in seminary, one of my assignments in my worship class, my worship planning class, was to develop a worship service for the longest night of the year. This is sometimes called a, a blue Christmas it's a service in recognition that um, Christmas celebration is not always um, happy for people, that this uh, celebration can carry with it some grief and some pain and some sadness. And some churches on the longest night of the year would like to do a service to, to recognize that. When we look at the way that we traditionally celebrate Christmas as a culture, there is a real emphasis on family. We have an idealized sense of family 
that can be painful for some to encounter at times of celebration. We look, even at the beginning, we, we start with the nativity and we have this family unit around the nativity scene and then it can go on from there from polite chit-chat about where are you spending the holidays, are you going to see family, where there's this underlying assumption of a, a happy family gathered around a table or around a tree. And I, myself, am no stranger to complicated holidays. I come from um, what is often called a broken family, a broken home. Uh, this, to me, sounds like an outdated term because uh, it seems to be our norm, really, for many of us to have this sense uh, of a broken family. I like the term. It may not feel right to you, but, but for me, I like it because it is um, what it felt like to me. And coming from this kind of broken home meant that I did have some unhappy holidays. And in thinking about this, I, I was thinking about how um, sometimes if you come from a broken family, your foundation is unstable. And broken can become your norm. It can become what you expect can become the foundation, the lens through which you view the world. But honestly, if we think about it, we are all from a broken family. The human family is a broken family. We are uh, estranged from each other in various ways. We are literally and figuratively at war with one another. And it occurred to me that we could read the Bible as the story of a broken family. That the hermeneutic that we use, that the, the lens through which we interpret our scripture could be that of a broken family. Because really, if we go back, we go back to creation and we have this story of the peace at creation, wholeness out of chaos. But then we move to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden who do something wrong and immediately turn on each other. And then they're expelled from the garden and they have Cain and they have Abel and here we have our first brotherly murder. And it goes on from there, the trouble between brothers, between fathers and sons, between fathers and daughters, between husbands and wives. And in those accounts where we have husbands with multiple wives, trouble between wives and wives. And the foundation of Israel, Jacob, out and out stole his brother's birthright. And then he had 12 sons who couldn't get along. And then these 12 sons ended up in Egypt, and they are the ancestors of the Israelites who fled slavery from Egypt with Moses, gathered at the base of Mount Sinai, and became a covenant people. God initiated a covenant with them. And they accepted that initiation and said that they would be one people in right relationship with each other and with God. And those people are the ancestors 
of the people to whom Isaiah is prophesying. We heard Isaiah speaking words of prophecy. And if you remember from last week's sermon, that Isaiah is a prophet calling people to account for breaking the covenant. He talks about them failing to do justice and failing to live in righteousness. And these are two words, justice and righteousness, that go together in the Hebrew scriptures, in our Old Testament. And sometimes we think of righteousness as meaning like we live in this really upright way where we never do anything wrong and we check on our neighbors to make sure they're never doing anything wrong. (laughs) Um, And we're really uptight about it. But it really means living in in right relationship living in right relationship with people around us. And justice, which also sounds like, hey, it means people get what they deserve, really here in the Hebrew scriptures means making things right. It means the strong act generously towards the weak and they defend their rights. And um, there's a little shorthand in the Hebrew scriptures sometimes for this the weak in society, the widows and the orphans. The widows and orphans are people who have no family structure to fall onto, who might get lost in the cracks, who have no way of earning a living and need to be cared for by the rest of society. Well, in Isaiah's time, in the uh, late 8th, early 7th century before Christ, the people, were, they were not doing that. They were not caring for the widows and orphans and for the weak on the margins. The rich were getting richer off the backs of the poor. And the people had abandoned their responsibility towards one another, and they were not living in right relationship with each other or with God. And the strong were taking advantage of the weak. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 23 has a really quick summation of this. Isaiah says, Your princes are rebels, companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and pursues gifts. They don't defend the orphan. And the widow's cause never reaches them. Isaiah tells the people of God's coming judgment, a judgment that will come in the form of outside invaders who will come in and lay everybody low. This book of Isaiah, and really the other, all the other prophets, are, it's full of judgment and punishment. And yet, within the core there is a message of hope. A message that a deliverer, a savior, will come from God to rescue the people. We heard last week the the scripture that said that he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This Prince of Peace will come to set things right. In our scripture today from Isaiah 11, we get a further picture of this leader, of this prince of peace. 
we hear what he would be like, what he will do. We hear that he will come from the stump of Jesse, that Jesse is King David's father. We know then he will come from this family of the house of David, as we know Jesus did. We hear these words that the Lord's spirit will rest upon him and he will have a spirit of wisdom and understanding, of planning and strength and knowledge and fear of the Lord. Today, though, the centerpiece, I think, is that he will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. Another translation that I read of this was that he will decide in favor of the earth's oppressed. Except that sounds like he's going to come, he's going to just turn everything over. And so the people who were oppressed will now be on top and everybody else will be on the bottom and we'll get the same power structure just flipped over. But that isn't quite right. Deciding with equity, this word equity, in the Hebrew has this sense of a level place. Almost like a flat plain with no obstacles in sight. What it will be is a leveling off, a removal of obstacles from those who have obstacles in front of them. That the poor and the needy will be brought up to the level with everyone else. And I also went and I looked at this, this poor and needy idea. Well, what, what, is, what is the word there? What's happening there? And in that Hebrew, there's this sense of something, a person left dangling. So really those who are left dangling will be brought in, will be brought up. And we get a little bit of the, the wicked will be brought down by the words of his mouth. There will be this leveling off and this removal of obstacles. It's our last Sunday in Advent. And we are looking right at Christmas coming soon. And the be- Christmas story tells us the beginning of this leveling off. Here we get the story of the beginning of setting things right when we have the power of the mighty God arriving humbly like a servant, not a king. He comes in a place where animals feed. And hearing these words about the place where animals feed and this little child there has echoes for us of the beauty that Isaiah envisions. Isaiah gives us this poetry about what will happen when the needy and the suffering are brought up to this level place, when the Savior comes and brings everyone up. This can only be expressed in poetry, and we get this vision of natural enemies, of the wolf with the lamb, with the leopard, lying with the young goat. A place where it is safe for a child to play over the hole of a serpent 
and a little child will lead them. No harm or destruction will come in this holy place. And this vision of this holy place, this place of safety and of peace that is almost a return to Eden, a return to a creation. This vision ends with God calling scattered people home, back to God's peaceful dwelling place. Isaiah's prophecy reveals to us that there is a promise that peace will come for all of creation. And we hear in John that Jesus gives that peace. It's not a peace that the world can give. It's a peace that only God can give. And in Ephesians, we, we heard about how everyone is brought into the covenant of God's promise by the body and blood of Christ, and that the barriers between people are broken down, and we are made one people through the body and blood of Christ. Isaiah has this vision of the root of Jesse standing as a signal for all people, calling those refugees scattered to come home to a restored place, a place of restoration. And Ephesians tells of how Christ does the same thing. Christ calls people from near and far to be one with him. God calls people home to peace and to equity and to live in justice and in righteousness with Christ. I started out this morning... Uh, with a reference to my own family, to I alluded to a sense of brokenness and said a little bit about how if brokenness is your norm, it can teach you to look for brokenness everywhere you go. In fact, to expect brokenness. I came to faith as an adult because I realized that I was looking at the world through a lens that was broken. My own brokenness and other people's, that's where I focused. And I wanted to know if there was a different way to be, a different way to live, a way of wholeness and of healing. And what I found was Christ there calling me home. This is the promise of peace that Christ offers, a promise made clear in a vision of a broken world that will be restored. As followers of Christ, we are given a path to walk on towards that restoration where lives are made right. Sometimes we as Christians, we stop at that personal moment, that personal connection. We feel we are in right relationship with God. Faith becomes a personal matter, and we focus on our own individual salvation. But if we look around us, we can see that we fall short when we leave that focus on ourselves. We can see that Isaiah's call is still so necessary, this call to justice and righteousness. If we look around, we can see that the human family is still broken. We live in a competitive world 
where winning at all costs becomes a marker for greatness. It comes at the expense of the poor and the disenfranchised. Exploitation and cheating becomes accepted as justified if it serves the cause of winning. And what we win is power and wealth. Meanwhile, the poor in the land still suffer. And we put up a sign that says refugees are not welcome here. The biblical vision, biblical vision in Isaiah and Ephesians and throughout scripture, is about the restoration of all creation, a peace that only God can give. It is about the root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, standing as a signal to those far away and calling those people to extraordinary peace. As we enter into Christmas week and we contemplate that baby in the manger, the good news is that the family gathered all around in that nativity scene includes each and every one of us. The Savior came for the whole human family. We are called to be part of that story. We are called to live into that story with justice and righteousness. And really, the Bible, our scripture tells us the story of the human family. And the story of the human family is of a family redeemed by the love of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.